we want to talk about worship because we are moving in this week into the Believe series and worship is it. And so uh, we just want to just dialogue a little bit about it. And let's just begin with the simple question, what is worship? How would you respond to that? that? Well, as we're getting started with Believe, if you guys are, if you haven't started reading it and you're going to start, you'll see that the key belief for this weekend, uh, for this week coming up, is that we worship God because of who he is and because of what he has done. And I think the the key in that is that because of who he is and what he has done. Because worship isn't, isn't prompted by us. We don't just think about worship and decide, yeah, I, I think I might worship God. We worship God because of what he's done, because of who he is and how he's revealed himself in our lives. And I think for the church, you know, that, that started at the crucifixion, right? God redeemed the church through Christ at the crucifixion, but... But you see that also in the Old Testament. In both, in both Testaments, there's one big redemptive act that God does, and that prompts worship for the rest. So in the Old Testament, it's the Exodus, right? God redeems his whole people, Israel. He redeems them. He brings them out of slavery. They've been enslaved for 400 years. He redeems them, and he says, okay, I've, I've saved you now. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and this is how that's going to look. And then in the New Testament, again, right, Christ redeems the church And again, he says, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And the church, that's what we are today, and that's why we worship. In the Old Testament, um, after he creates this covenant, uh, the response of the people is to worship. And he lays out some really specific things that he wants in worship. One of those things is the, the sacrificial system. And in that system, there's a sacrifice called the atoning sacrifice, which basically was just set up to deal with sin because the people kept sinning. And God was holy, and he couldn't be with them. And so in that atoning sacrifice, they sprinkle the blood of the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, on the altar, and it covers the sin of the people. So in the same way, in the New Testament, you have this beautiful picture where God God already painted this picture back in the Old Testament, but he uses it to explain what Jesus does, right? So when Jesus dies, his blood covers us, and God no longer sees our sin. He just sees Jesus. And, and then in the Old Testament, you have, you know, the sin is atoned for, but then over and over and over again, the people break the covenant with God. They just cannot keep it. They're not good enough to keep the covenant. But in the New Testament, Christ not only dies for our sin and covers us, he also keeps the covenant for us. We don't have to keep the covenant anymore because Christ kept it. If we are in Christ, Christ's perfection has kept the covenant for us. And that's why we worship. It's, it's always, always a response to a covenant that God has made with us always a response to what God has done. And in both cases, God starts his covenant with a huge redemptive act. He says, I'm going to do this for you, and then I'm going to set up this covenant with you. It's just a beautiful picture. In the Old Testament, he's just constantly trying to get into a relationship with his people, constantly trying to have that relationship with them, and they keep breaking it. But in the New Testament, that relationship is whole. It's, it's complete because of what Christ did. He tore that veil. He, he undid the separation between God and man. I think it's really cool to talk about these two redemptive acts. There's, you know, the Exodus, and they talk about the Exodus all throughout the Old Testament. Maybe you notice that every time, because that's that redemptive act that they go back to. And God gives them a, a feast. They had a lot of feasts, but one of the big ones was the Passover. And the Passover, they, they ate all these things to remind them of the Exodus. They ate that bitter herb, that horseradish to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. They had the unleavened bread to remind them that they had to leave so quickly that they couldn't put yeast in their bread and wait for it to rise. And then, but it's always pointing towards the Messiah, right? 
it's always they're saying, but the Messiah is going to come. And then when Jesus comes, we get a new feast, right? We get this communion. And they represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And again, it points forward to someday we're going we're gonna to eat this in the new kingdom. Someday he's going to come again, that he didn't stay dead. But I just think it's so cool that God gives us those yeah. tangible reminders. And, and always, in the Old Testament with the Exodus, in the New Testament with the cross, it's God who takes the initiative. He reaches out to sinful people, delivers us from slavery to sin, and now worship is a response. That's why we worship, and you've brought that out beautifully. So why we worship, yeah, that's clear. What is worship? Let's talk about that a little bit. So um, when we come together to worship, I think sometimes we get a little confused. We kind of think, um, okay, I'm going to worship, so let me think of some good things. I'm going I'm to sing to God, or I'm going to say to God, and I'm going I'm to do this for God, or I'm going to do that for God. And we kind of think of it all from our direction. We, we kind of think of it this direction, like it's going from here to here all the time, just this direction. But worship, the true worship, is both directions. It's a two-way street all the time. It's us um, to God, and then it's also God responding to us. And worship isn't complete unless God responds to his people. And he, he always does. He's always longing to respond to his people. Um, there's a really cool word picture that I, I like for this, this idea of worship, and um, I stole it from somebody else. But they say um, every person has a well inside of them, and it's your job to keep your well filled up. And what you fill your well with is the Spirit of God. It's all God's goodness and and joy and love that he pours into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And that's what you use to keep your well full. And full doesn't mean that it's just like to the brim. Full means um, kind of like those fountains, you know, where they pour the water in and then it kind of pours over the sides into the next, you know, and it just keeps pouring out. So that's what full means with God. Full means that he's constantly pouring into you and then your cup is so full that it's just pouring over the sides. And that's what worship is. It's when God pours into you and then you're constantly pouring back out to him. Because I think sometimes we, we come into worship and we think, I'm just going to kind of dredge something up inside and offer this to God. And, you know, we don't have, right, apart from Christ, before we knew Christ, we don't have anything to offer to God. We don't have anything good that's just, if I dig deep enough, I'm going to find something good down there. No, all that we have that's good is from God. It's the spirit of God living inside of us. It's his love, his joy, his peace that we have living inside of us. And so when we're so full of God, and it just pours back out over the sides, that's worship. And so when we come in and we worship together during this time, you know, we're, we're pouring out to God, but it's because God is pouring into us. God's goodness, God's joy, God's love that's just constantly, constantly being poured into us. So redemption is a one-time act in our lives, but it's an ongoing act as we are being changed more and more into the glory of God. And so that happens as we get in the presence of God with the purpose of worship. Uh, we do that on the weekends, okay? Uh, how else do we fill that well? Yeah, I think that goes to the next question, that how we worship, you know, how we keep that well full. I think there's two kind of main types of worship that we really talk about. It's corporate worship and there's just private personal worship. And so to start with personal worship, because I think everything starts with personal worship, just like you said, is keeping that well full. And like Lisette said, that's, that's your responsibility. I think sometimes we look at, you know, worship leaders and we're like, lead me, you know, make me worship, you know, and, and we just can't, you know, and it can't just be on a Sunday morning. 
We can't just come in Sunday morning and expect to be there. It has to be that personal worship. And, and we've talked about in the past, personal worship looks different for each person. You know, for some people, I was talking to somebody, and they said, you know when I worship the most? When I walk the dog. You know, and we're not like, well, that's not very spiritual. You know what I mean? But that's, if that's what fills you back up, if that's, if that's the time where you feel the presence of God the most, then walk your dog like six or seven times a day. You know, just get full. And, and read scripture, all of those things. Just believe as we read scripture, that should fill that well to overflowing. So that when you come in on a Sunday morning, that well is overflowing. There's kind of this horrible thing that happened where, and a lot of, I've heard pastors say this from the stage where they say, oh, you know, we'll come in on Sunday morning, we'll give you that shot in the arm to get through the rest of the week. And, and that's not the picture of God's people that I think God has. We shouldn't come limping in on a Sunday morning, beat up by the world, but we are, we are more than conquerors. We should be filled with his presence. We should be walking around with his presence and his spirit just bubbling out of us. And then when we come in on a Sunday morning and we're just a collection of these overflowing wells, this place is going to fill up with his spirit. And that's, that's when this place, when this worship can become something that we read about in the, in the New Testament, where people are healed, where people are set free, because we are, are a collection of people overflowing with the spirit of God. And that's why you're vital to worship. There's another myth that if we're, you know, once you pass this, it's just an audience. What a lie. We say this all the time. You're part of the worship team. And that's not just a cute little thing we say. You're vital. You're just as important as Lisette or I or, or Derek playing the electric guitar. And yeah, in the, you know, we like to use music. Music's a great tool for worship. But spiritually, there is no difference. You are just as vital. If you don't show up, if you sleep in, which at this point, respect, that's, that's pretty late to be sleeping in, but if you sleep in and don't show up, it makes a difference. Worship is different that day because you didn't show up. And when we realize that, when you realize that you are vitally important, we start to see worship from a different lens, that it's not a performance for you to come and to critique. You know, we don't come in and go, you know, I really would have worshiped, but I hate that song. And Charlie was flat, and so I just didn't worship. You know what I mean? And that's how we see it. And then Ron at the last service says, you know, everybody stands up with a sign. It gives it a 9 or a 10, and I'm glad we don't do that. But, um, but it's not what it is. Worship is a part of our mission. Worship is something we do together. And what will happen is if we would be people that worship in our daily lives, that the Holy Spirit would fill this place up, and he would bust out those doors like a river. When we would leave we would go out into our workplaces and our homes and the Spirit of God would flood those places too. And that's what he wants. He wants people to know him in that way. One of the things I take away from what you're both saying is that we all have a responsibility when it comes to worship. We don't hire a worship minister and say, well, that takes care of worship. Oh, no. In the Old Testament, uh, each person brought their own sacrifice to the temple. Priests had their roles, Levites had their roles, but that worshiper brought their sacrifice we bring a sacrifice of praise we bring a sacrifice of of time and encouragement uh just blessing to the lord and so as we through the week just uh allow the poor lord to pour into our lives because we're spending time in the in the word i really encourage everybody just give the first 15 minutes of every day to jesus you know open the bible pray sing to the lord and then throughout the day, punctuate your day with worship. Yes, attend that Ohana group. 
because you stimulate one another to love and good deeds through that community, that small community of faith. And then we come in here and uh, we're ready. We're filled up. We're ready to worship. Reality is, sometimes I don't feel like worshiping, okay? So I fake it. No, I don't. <laughs> you know what I do? I faith it, okay? Uh, in other words, I act by faith. I worship by faith. And guess what happens? As we give ourselves to the Lord, as we give ourselves to one another, we uh, experience the presence of the Lord. And that becomes our responsibility as well. So sometimes we're not all filled up. It's okay. We faith uh, faith it and just give it to the Lord. It's, it's a team sport. And if you've ever played a team sport, you can tell when someone's not doing their job, especially basketball. You know, if I'm a point guard and I'm not passing the ball, I'm not doing my job. And people will notice. And in the same way, if you're, if you're not, and that's not a, you know, we're going to start calling you out. <laughs> One service round was like, all right, you, start where, you know. But when we go through this Kealo Yesu, when we become more and more mature, we begin to fill that role. That God has a role for every single one of us to fill. And you're needed. You're necessary. And uh, we talk about it like this, that um, you can either be a thermometer or a thermostat when you come into worship. Now, a thermometer kind of gauges the temperature around them, and they settle into that temperature, yeah? A thermostat, they set the temperature. And there are people that we call out in our, in our, in our audience and, and in the people that come that are, that are thermostats. One of them who comes a lot Friday night is Andy Cole. And Andy Cole, if you've ever been in a worship service, he, like, comes right up here, and first song, he's like, arms up, you know. And Andy Cole's a thermostat. Andy Cole doesn't come in and sometimes he's like, oh, I don't know. I guess if no one else is raising their hands, he's going to worship. And as you grow in maturity, we want us to be more and more be thermostats, people that set that temperature. And part of the way we do that is physically. You know, it's a posture of the heart. Your heart is what matters. God sees to the heart. But there is a truth that for some reason, you know, the ancient Israelites, if they would have said that the physical is, is separate from the spirit, they would have been like, no. Because when they said the words for worship in the Old Testament... They were physical commands. There was never a one that was like quietly in your heart. You know, it's to lift your hands, to shout, to rave, to bow down. There are these strong words for worship. And so part of that, as you grow in your maturity, is to respond more physically, to push yourself to maybe, and you know, for, for Andy, it's not a big thing for him to raise his hands. And it's not a magical thing. We're not going to say, Andy, raise them higher as you grow, you know. But for maybe for you, it's just this. I'm just going to respond in faith. I'm going to do this just to respond physically so I can push my spirit so that you can be that thermostat instead of just a thermometer. You know, as we become more and more a worshiping church because we take worship seriously uh, and we come to worship, the, the New Testament says when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that unbelievers who walk in, they'll sense the presence and power of God and they'll be convicted and of their need for a Savior. However... If, if an unbeliever walked in and worship started and we all went, they'd probably leave. <laughs> so just be led by the Holy Spirit in that. I mean, as you are led, we're a diverse people. And uh, we respond differently in worship. And we, the key is, as Charlie said, it's the matter of the heart. But be engaged. Don't be passive in worship. As we come together corporately, boy, let's worship the Lord and engage fully. So where do we go from here? What's next that you folks see as we move on in worship? So, um, you know, in 
John 4, there's a story of the woman at the well, and Jesus comes, and she's a Samaritan. He's not supposed to talk to her because he's a Jew. And they get into this lengthy discussion, and he's bringing up all sorts of things about how she's living with some guy she's not married with, and she gets really uncomfortable. And so she says, let's talk about something controversial other than me. And she brings up worship, and she says, well, I'm a Samaritan. I think we should worship here. You're a Jew, and you guys think we should worship over here. What do you think? And she's kind of baiting him a little bit, like, let's not talk about my marital status anymore. Let's talk about this. And um, Jesus, like he so often does, is just like, oh, okay, well, I guess. And he says, you know what, I, I don't care, and neither does God. The true worshipers are going to worship me in spirit and in truth. The time is coming, and it has now come to worship me in spirit and in truth. And the spirit part we've already kind of talked about, right? We've talked about how the spirit of God fills us up, and then we pour back out to God. And that's true worship, when the spirit of God is flowing out of us in worship. But the truth part, that's what comes next, right? That's when our worship and what we do here on Sunday morning matches what we do in our workplace on Monday morning or what we do with our kids at home or what we do with our spouse when no one's watching or, you know, whatever. It's about that personal time and how that affects what you do. Because if the Spirit of God is living in you and flowing out of you, it's going to flow out of you in all those areas too. So I'm getting mad at Charlie. It doesn't, that doesn't happen. But if it were to happen, (laughs) hypothetically, you know, if I'm overflowing with the Spirit of God, I'm going to respond differently to that. I'm going to, I'm going to check myself a little bit. I'm going to say, wait a second. I'm going to think about that a little bit more. And I'm going to respond differently to him because of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to respond differently to my children who are driving me crazy because of the Holy Spirit. I don't have any kids, but if I did. To be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Theoretically, you would. I got derailed there. Yeah, theoretically. But But that's what we're saying is when we go out of here, the truth part of it is that if our worship here does not match what we do out there, then it's not true. And that's what Jesus says. I want it to match. I don't want you to be Pharisees. I don't want you to do one thing and say something else and pray one way and live one another way. I don't want that. I want what's true. I want to be true in your life. I want to be true in every part of your life. My mom woke up when Lissette said something about children, by the way, so that's great. But um, one thing I think that is really key about that is this idea of culture. And every, every group of people has a different culture. You know, you have a family culture, or we look at different cultures. I mean, there's so many, like, there's so many cultures in this church, and it's a, one of my favorite parts about our church. And there are things that are generally true about different cultures, and we notice those things. And one of the things that's really generally true about our people and our culture is that you guys are a generous church. And we have fallen in love with our church because you guys are such a generous church. Every time we announce the Thanksgiving offering and Christmas offering, and it's not like, yay, you know, money, but... But that, to me, is that's a response. And that comes out of a place that you guys are a generous people. You guys want to see the kingdom of God advance, and you're willing to give towards that. Another thing about our people is you're a welcoming people. When we have guests, so often they're like, I felt like I went out on the lanai, and it was like I was in someone's home. You know? And, you know, I'll tell you, Ron said that story about how we came to Candidate. And when we were on the plane, I'll tell you what, I was like, there is no way we're moving to Hawaii. You know? We're getting a free trip and then we're going home. Because I was just like, <laughs> I just was like, man, I, we can't afford to live here. It's hot and I'm a big guy. I'm going to sweat a lot, <laughs> which is still true. But I walked into those doors. I walked in this place. There was no one here. And I was like, we're moving to Hawaii. I don't know what it was, but I walked in this worship center and it was like, this is a home. This is a place where a family is supposed to be. But I do see some places where our culture can grow. You know, a family's culture can grow, can, can become um, closer to what God wants 
you know, his community be like. And I think of the ways we can grow are in our personal worship. You need to find those things that fill you back up. Become an overflowing well. And your life will change. And then when we come together, this place is going to change. And it's going to overflow with the Spirit of God. And then we're going to see that happen. Where when we, were, when we worship in spirit, the next step is to worship in truth. We're going to bless our community. We're going to live this life for real. But that comes from the power of the Spirit of God. I think that's what's next for us. I appreciate your heart in that. I think that reflects the heart of God because God loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay where we are. And I just hear from you, too, that you desire more in worship for us, for our church, for the Lord. And so that's what we want to partner with them in, right? Can I get an amen on that? Well, let's pray, and then I'm going to ask Charlie and Lisette to lead us in a song of worship. Thank you, Lord, for your great mercy and love that you've extended to us through Jesus. And through all the gifts that you've given, each person is a gift to this church. And this weekend, we recognize that Charlie and Lisette are certainly gifts given to us to lead us in greater worship still to you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.